Luke chapter 17. Let's look at verse 11 now. And I'm going to read down to verse 19, please. In verse 11, we read the following. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed, but the nine where are they? Was no one, excuse me, was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, this uh, day, we are going to talk about the theme of Thanksgiving. And uh, for those of you who are new, uh, this may be new. For those of you who have been here many years, you know this is one of my favorite topics to talk about, uh, at, especially when we get into November around Thanksgiving. So this year you get two Thanksgiving uh, sermons. And uh, here we have a great story of Jesus meeting ten lepers and he heals them, boys and girls. He's, he tells them to go show the priest. That's exactly what the law of God would have told you to do. You can read in Leviticus on your own time that if you had leprosy. Now, leprosy is a terrible disease and it, it is a disease that uh, affects people that they lose the, their sense of feeling. And one of the reasons you lepers, it's not that the disease itself often takes appendages uh, off of them, but what happens is their their ability to sense danger is diminished. They don't feel that the Iron is hot and they burn themselves and thereby they end up often uh, losing and deforming their hands or feet or things like that. And uh, it's a it's a terrible and it's a dreadful uh, disease. The law of God uh, required lepers uh, to cover themselves, to cover their face um, and to cry unclean, unclean if somebody was approaching them. And so not only is it a terrible and a dreadful disease, but it was a socially isolating disease. These were very lonely people, and that's why probably we see them together, because of the only company that they seemed to be able to keep was that with other lepers. So these are people who knew a lot about suffering. They knew a lot about sorrow um, in this fallen world. And so somehow they have heard about the wondrous person and works of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so respectfully at a distance, they cry out to the Savior for grace and for mercy. And they ask that Jesus would heal them. Somehow they knew that Jesus Christ had been healing others and they thought maybe we can get Jesus to heal us. So they cry out to Jesus 
Now, what's interesting here is that Jesus tells them to go and show themselves to the priest. And as they're exercising obedience to the command of the Lord Jesus Christ, they realize that they indeed have been healed of this terrible disease. And as they are going, one of them decides to stop. Not that he's going to disobey Jesus's command to go to the priest. I think he probably does, though the text doesn't tell us. But based on his faith, uh, we can assume that he does. But he decides, though, before he goes to the priest and show himself to the priest, he'll go back to Jesus. And as he goes back to Jesus, he falls on his face. He goes and bows before the Lord Jesus Christ and he worships the Lord Jesus Christ. In, and he gives thanks to Jesus. We are told in 16, he fell on his face at his feet, at the feet of Jesus, giving thanks to Jesus. And he, interesting, was a Samaritan, as Luke and others often do record that sometimes the people who seem to exercise the most faith were those who were outside the covenant formally. It's a warning to us, isn't it, who are in the visible church, who are in the covenant, that we not become ungrateful to God. It's interesting that it was somebody who was a foreigner. And back then in the Old Testament, if you were a foreigner, that essentially meant you were outside the church because the church was Israel back in that day. In the Old Testament, the, the visible church of Christ was Israel. Here's a Samaritan who's outside of Israel. And, and, and so we see, as it was in the case of the Roman centurion, where Jesus said, I have never seen such faith. And it was, it was in many ways, it was a rebuke or the Syrophoenician woman, a Gentile who wouldn't take no for an answer. And Jesus says, it's not good to give the bread of the, of the, the children's bread to dogs. He was saying, you're a foreigner, you're an outsider, you are outside the covenant. I'm not supposed to be ministering first and foremost to you. I have come to my own. I've come to my own people. And yet, as John says in his prologue, the sad words of John, and yet his people did not receive him. And yet so many on the outside were beginning to receive Jesus, even as this Samaritan. And, and Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? Where are they? Where are the nine others? And he says, now this is a very interesting verse. In verse 19, he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Now I want you to take that in for a second. Because they were all cleansed. And yet Jesus says, your faith has made you well. What, what does he mean? I don't think Jesus here is talking about the physical healing alone, is he? They were all cleansed. But here, this Samaritan has been made well. And I think what Jesus is saying here is this Samaritan has been truly made well, spiritually. His faith has saved him. God's grace has caused him to be born from above and that he has put his trust in the Lord. And it is evidenced by what? His thanksgiving. Just like, you know, Zacchaeus. I think it's the same principle. When Zacchaeus is told, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree because today I'm going to your house and I'm having lunch with you. And what is the first thing Zacchaeus says? He says, Lord, if I've cheated anybody, if I've defrauded anybody, I'll pay them back four times over. And, and the, the idea here is that Zacchaeus is demonstrating true faith because he is willing to do what? Show evangelical obedience to the command of restitution. 
And, and because he is willing to demonstrate his willingness to do what God's word says, Jesus says, what? Zacchaeus is a saved man. Here we have the same thing. Somebody comes back with thanksgiving to God, is demonstrating what? He has true saving trust in Jesus Christ. Here's the principle, isn't it? For us, the takeaway is this. Our thanksgiving to God demonstrates we're saved. One of the things that you read, for example, in Romans chapter 1, when Paul is listing the catalog of sins in a depraved and fallen world, one of them is ingratitude. One of the signs of being a Christian is you become a thankful person, a grateful person. It's a fruit of saving faith. That's why Jesus singles this man out to say, your faith has made you well. All ten were healed, but Jesus means here the Samaritan's faith has made his soul well. It's not that the work of thanksgiving saves us, but the thanksgiving is a sign of saving faith, of God working in his life. Now, thanksgiving is found throughout the whole Bible. And uh, I think the church needs to think about this because it's such an important aspect of our salvation, that we give thanks. J.I. Packer has said that if we do not regularly as Christians give thanks for the salvation, think about the billions and trillions of years with which you will be in heaven with God and not in hell, if that doesn't stir you a little bit, you probably need to check your foundations, the foundations of your faith. We've lost perspective if we cannot be grateful people to God, even if we are going through very hard things and trials and sorrows and tribulations. There still should be room for gratitude in the midst of the sorrows to be thankful to God for our salvation. That these sorrows are going to last 70, 80 years at most. And then comes eternal bliss. And as Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8. That the, that the weight of eternal glory is incomparable compared to the present sufferings of this life. And that's a, Paul's a man who knew suffering. He knew what it was to be shipwrecked and beaten and stoned and arrested and thrown in jail and whipped with 39 lashes. And on and on. Be persecuted. Have to flee. To go without food day and night sometimes. Uh, going without food for even up to two weeks on the ship. Uh, he knew a man. He knew what it was to suffer. And yet he could say at the same time. All that suffering is not worthy to be compared to the glory that is coming. So we ought to be grateful people. In, we see it both in the Old and the New Testament. In Leviticus chapter 7. Uh, maybe you can read it this Sunday afternoon. We see that there are offerings of thanksgiving, special offerings. There are all kinds of offerings in the book of Leviticus. Guilt offering, sin offering, whole burnt offering. There are all kinds of offerings. But one of the offerings that you could give is a thank offering to God. Where just out of gratitude you offer to God uh, a sacrifice. We see in 2 Samuel chapter 6, David uh, giving a, having a, a celebration of thanksgiving. And why did he do this? Well, he did this because the Ark of the Covenant was coming back into Jerusalem. Now, what's the significance of that? Well, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, for you children, uh, 
You may not know. You may think, well, it's just, you know, kind of Raiders of the Lost Ark. But the Ark was very significant. The Ark was the, the, the representation of, of God's presence. And this is why you couldn't touch the Ark. Because of the holiness of God, you had to carry the Ark by poles and only that by the Levitical priests. And it was a sign of God's presence. And so when David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, it was a cause for great celebration because now God had made the city of David the place where he would dwell. His name, the name of God would dwell in Jerusalem until the time that Jesus Christ would finish his work on the cross and God would bring a judgment in A.D. 70 upon Jerusalem where the temple would be destroyed, the old covenant temple, and it would never be rebuilt. And because we are now the temple uh, of Christ. Um, in Second Chronicles chapter 20, King Jehoshaphat put the temple singers in the front of the army. And uh, this was in the time of the ba- a great battle. And it's kind of like putting the marching band in front of the football team. It's not the, you know, probably humanly speaking, the greatest strategy in the world. Uh, and yet what happens as the singers, they, they start singing and they start giving praise to God and and their enemies are, are routed. They turn on each other. God does a, a miracle and they don't even the Israels don't even have to lift a sword. And their enemies are are completely destroyed. Now, think about that in the context of the war that we're fighting right now. The spiritual warfare that's going on in the church. I bet we've never really thought much about Thanksgiving being a weapon where just by thanking God and praising God, God starts to do works against his enemies in this world. Jesus begins to. Use the praises of his people. Remember, the Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. And so when you and I, we tend to think we're not going to get anything unless we ask for it or supplicate for it. But here it seems to indicate from the Bible that if even just thanking God, God is pleased to do works on our behalf. Even when they're not asking, they're not asking God save us. They're not asking God to deliver us from our enemies. They're not asking God to defeat these people in front of us. They're just thanking God. They're just praising God. And, and, and the Holy Spirit is, does the work, does the rest. And, and think about that. Think if we would just praise God, thank God. Maybe there would be some more missionary doors open. Maybe Satan would be bound afresh in, in various fields that we're concerned about. And people would be taken captive for Christ and liberated. And, and the strong men be bound and the house would be plundered afresh. All, all, and all we're doing is thanking God and praising the Lord. So, you know, put that in your missiological uh, category there. That Thanksgiving applies to missions. Now, of course, we are grateful to uh, live in a country where Thanksgiving is uh, celebrated on an annual basis. I think that's good. I think the government should declare a day of Thanksgiving. Uh, it is not Turkey Day. It should be recognized as a day to thank God through Jesus Christ um, as a nation. I think we need to acknowledge Jesus Christ specifically. That we need to acknowledge he's the king of the nations. He's Lord over all. Even though not all recognize his kingship, I still believe we have an obligation uh, as a culture, as a nation, 
Uh, to acknowledge the Lord Je- Jesus Christ. He's King of Kings. He's Lord of the United States. And, uh, and we should acknowledge that. Now, um, however, I don't want us to think that days of Thanksgiving can be confined only to when the government uh, tells us that we're going to have a day of Thanksgiving. Uh, you can have one as a family. Maybe there's particular Ebenezer's you want to set up and remember. That is... An Ebenezer kids, you remember that that's called a stone of remembrance. And and uh, they would set the, them up so that they would remember things that God had done in their past. So when we sing that, you know, here about the setting up our Ebenezer in that hymn, and you're like, what does that mean? You know, I'm setting up an Ebenezer. We're remembering something God has done. We can do that in terms of uh, days of Thanksgiving. Uh, many of you may already do that. Um, I think I, I shared uh, with some recently that I had a Greek and New Testament professor uh, when I was in seminary. And while I was at seminary, uh, they their one of their sons was found at the bottom of their swimming pool in their backyard at the bottom. And they got him out and the EMT and the fire department were able to bring him back to life. And one of the things that they've done ever since on the day that their son was rescued from the bottom of the pool is they had a day of Thanksgiving. One of the ways they celebrated is they went to the fire station that came and rescued their son and uh, they fed uh, the, the fire station that day every year. Uh, I think this past year, I saw it on Facebook, this was their 27th year uh, that, that they've been doing that. In fact, the, the fireman who saved their son is retiring this year. Uh, this, this would be his last year. But having a, having a time of thanksgiving, recognizing a particular mercy in the providence of God in your life, in your family's life, maybe it's an anniversary, um, whatever it might be, uh, that you have a time of thanksgiving. That we, that we not spoil the blessings that God has given us. Um, we see thanksgiving so many times in the Psalms. Psalm 26, in verse 7, we're told that David wants to worship with thanksgiving at the temple. In Psalm 50, verses 14, and then also in verse 23, uh, we are, we're told that we should avoid mere formalism. And how do we do that? Well, we do so by being grateful, by being thankful. God is honored by sincere thanksgiving to him. We see in Psalm 69, verse 30, David is afflicted by his enemies. Uh, He's in great pain and distress. He prays for deliverance with the promise that he, if God will deliver him, he will render thanksgiving, which he says is again better than sacrifice. Um, think about that, that God considers thanking him better than you trying to think, what can I do for God? And, and giving it some kind of sacrifice. In Psalm 95, uh, which we often read as a call to worship before we begin public worship, uh, we read uh, this call to worship and, and the psalm says, come with songs of thanksgiving. To the Lord, we as a corporate people are to come with 
thanks to the Lord for what he has done. In Psalm 100, something similar. We are, to, we are told to come with thanksgiving, enter into his gates with praise, into his courts with thanksgiving. Um, how, how many of you young people think about coming to the house of God, ready to give thanks to God? In Psalm 107, in various verses there, uh, when we see God uh, delivering, when we, when we see God delivering us from troubles, suffering, sickness, disease, persecution, we are to render thanks uh, to the Lord uh, for that. We sometimes see psalms of thanksgiving. Psalm 116, a psalm of thanksgiving, we are told, for the deliverance from death. The very purpose of the psalm, inspired in the Hebrew there, in the little superscript at the top. We're told it's a psalm of thanksgiving because of what God had done. In Psalm 147, we see the restoration of Jerusalem and thanksgiving is rendered to God. And I think this applies to the church too. That any Jerusalem, you remember, is, is the symbol of the church in the Old Testament. So when we see references to Jerusalem in the Old Testament, we should be thinking in our mind that the church, the, the, the place where God is worshipped, where the word is preached and the sacraments administered, and I think just as Jerusalem sometimes was distressed and sometimes restored and here Thanksgiving is rendered because of the restoration of Jerusalem. Whenever we see restoration and revival in the church, we should be giving thanks to God. Whenever we see conversions, whenever we see victories or particular or singular blessings of God on our people, on our children, we ought to be giving thanks to God. And we see it in the New Testament as well. Second Corinthians chapter nine and verse 11. Uh, Paul says that the generosity, generosity of the saints can lead to greater thankfulness. One of the things he encouraged was was giving. And as God's people gave, it tended to lead to the multiplication of thanksgiving. When you give to missions, uh, that money is used in foreign countries such as China, Uganda, Uruguay. It's used in uh, parts of, of Roman Catholic Quebec in Canada. And as we give and the missionaries are supported and God works through those missionaries, people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And what happens? People in different parts of the world are giving thanks because of our giving. As a way of multiplying generosity. In the church, Philippians chapter four in verse six, here we see Paul telling us Thanksgiving is an important element of prayer that that. Prayers and supplications are to be made unto God with thanksgiving, we're told. Whereby we acknowledge the, the beneficence of God and we acknowledge all the previous blessings. You know, one of the things you don't want to do is just be a consumer of blessings where you don't render any thanksgiving. God gets no benefit from blessing you because you don't render him any gratitude. In Colossians chapter four, verse two, we're told to devote ourselves to prayer and again, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. First Timothy, chapter two, verse one. We read that again, thanksgivings in prayer are to be made as we intercede for uh, kings and all those in authority, presidents, Congress, courts, governors, mayors. We also should be giving thanks to God. In chapter four, first Timothy four, thanksgiving is made for the blessings of God, which he's given first Thessalonians 5, 18. Listen to what Paul says here, quote, in everything, give thanks. 
Think about that, boys and girls. In everything, give thanks. Not just in the good times, in all times, in everything, give thanks. for. Now, listen to this. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, teenagers, college students, young adults here, you guys who keep praying, you know, for God's will in your life. All right, here it is in black and white. This is God's will for you. That you be grateful, he says. That you be thankful. You, you, you can put it down. I want to know God's will for my life. Now, I know what you mean when you say that. You mean, I want to know where I'm supposed to go to college. What am I supposed to study? What job am I supposed to take? Who am I supposed to marry? You know, where am I supposed to live? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, and God will, over time, in his providence, reveal that to you. You know, as you seek him. And, but what, what else is God's will for your life? Well, here it is. That you be thankful. So, are, let me ask you. Are you being thankful as you seek God for God's will in your life? Or are you just asking him, show me, show me, show me, show me. Are you being grateful for what God has already provided? Thankful as you're seeking God's will for your, your life and the decisions you need to make. This is God's will for you. That you be grateful. That you be thankful. Ephesians 1.16 Christians ought to be thankful for the, bodies of, for, the, for the bodies of believers, we're told, that the Lord will raise up. Uh, Paul did not cease to give thanks to God for the congregation at Ephesus, we're told. Uh, Colossians Chapter 1, verse 3 and verse 12, Paul gives thanks for this congregation. He does the same in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2. He's always giving thanks for all these different churches that God has raised up. We ought to be thankful for the churches God raises up in our presbytery, the new mission works. Now, in Ephesians 5, one of the things we see is that thanksgiving is antithetical to a life of sin. It's antithetical to a life of sin. It's contrasted. Paul lists all these sins. He specifies immorality, impurity, greed, filthiness, coarse jesting, drunkenness. Now, it's hard to give thanks to God if you're living a life that gives you a bad conscience. It's difficult to give thanks when you are sinning. But what Thanksgiving helps with is it helps keep our lives clean and devoid of sin. Colossians 2, 7, Christians, we are told, are to be overflowing with gratitude. Revelation 7, 12, heaven is characterized by thanksgiving to God, we are told. Also in Revelation 7, 11, 17, excuse me, Revelation 11, verse 17, what are they doing in heaven? They're rendering thanks unto God and to his son, the lamb who was slain. So I want you to see that the theme of thanksgiving I hope I've demonstrated is all over your Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. And we see it by way of prescript. We see it by way of example. And if, if God has mentioned it that many times, it can only be that important. A couple other things I want us to think about here. Colossians chapter three, verse 15. One of the things that we see, and if you want to turn there, Colossians Chapter 3, verse 15. 
One of the things that we see about Thanksgiving is how closely it is associated with the fruit of the Spirit. It is associated with the fruit of the Spirit. It's also associated with church unity and mutual love. Look down at Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 in your Bible. Colossians 3, verse 12. The Apostle Paul says, So as those who have been chosen of God, that is the elect, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Verse 14, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Then look at verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So what is he saying? He's saying, well, we put on the heart of Christ, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. We deal with each other in loving ways, forgiving each other, praying for one another. Put on love. Maintain the unity of the spirit and the bonds of peace. And as you do so, be thankful. And then he goes on. Let the word of God richly dwell within you. Let me ask you how your fruit is the spiritual fruit in your life today. Have you been a joyful Christian lately? Have you been a grateful Christian? Uh, Do you find it difficult to serve others lately? Or serve cheerfully? Maybe it is. That you need the remedy of giving thanks to the Lord by doing so. It'll help your attitude. It'll give you strength to serve again. Maybe it'll help you to overlook offenses. Are you promoting the peace and the unity of Christ? Are you having a difficult time sincerely being thankful in your life lately? Thankfulness does not seem to abide where there's acrimony, bitterness, anger, backbiting, and abusive speech. Hard to maintain a spirit of thankfulness when you're giving yourself to all that. Now, Paul goes on and he says, thankfulness is enhanced if we'll let the Bible dwell in us. You see that in verse 16. After he tells us to be thankful, he says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. A few things to to think about, maybe even as a homework assignment. Maybe it would help you to write or type out a list of things for which you're grateful for. Maybe just to practice the exercise of meditating I was talking with a Christian uh, just this past week or so, two weeks ago. And one of the interesting things that uh, she said was that she kept a journal, a daily spiritual journal, and each day sought to write out things for which she was grateful. Thought that was very interesting. Starting with gratitude. Um, you know, if it were me, I'd probably start off with things that are irritating me. <laughs> if I were honest and, and say, Lord, fix these things right here. 
But uh, maybe something we need to do is start type a list out uh, of, of things for which we are grateful. See if you can, secondly, exercise yourself uh, in thanksgiving. I hope you were paying attention to the pastoral prayer this morning. I hope you noticed there was very little supplication in it, wasn't there? And that was, of course, intentional. It was sought to be as a model. Um, I I know I've told you this story. I got together with a few college students once at uh, LaGrange College uh, many years ago, and... uh, it was, it was around the season of Thanksgiving in November. We decided as we met for prayer in the chapel that particular morning, we said, OK, we're going to see if we can go a whole hour and not ask God for anything. The whole hour, we're going to try and pray and praise God and thank, thank him alone. No supplication. And it was one of the most wonderful prayer meetings I think I've ever been to. You just you could just feel the Holy Spirit. Um, honoring uh, uh, us as we as we were thanking God. Only one leper came back <laughs> and thanked Jesus. You know, uh, young people, boys and girls, I want you to know all ten of those lepers were happy. I don't want you to think only one leper was happy. All of them were truly excited about what Jesus did. Okay. What's the point? The point is only one of those ten took the time to go back to God and express how happy they were. Only one of them the other nine took their happiness and ran. Only one came back to God and gave worship. Only one came back to Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you. What are you going to do with all the blessings Jesus is giving you? Do you know how many people in the world would like to live your life? Are, are you aware You aware how many kids would like to have parents? You are you aware how many kids would like to have a home? Are you aware how many kids would like to be able to do the things you're going to do this summer? Go on the trips you're going to go on? How many would like just to have peace? And not see moms strung out on drugs. Not see uh, terrible, abusive things. Okay, you know how many kids would like to have food in this world? Uh, Would like to be able to go see a doctor? How many would like to have a Bible? How many would like to go to church? How many would like to have a preacher teach them the Bible? A seminary trained preacher. 
There, there are so many blessings you have. And all ten of these lepers, they were happy. But only one went back to the Lord and thanked him. My question is, are you going to go back to Jesus and be grateful? Are you going to go back to Jesus by faith? Jesus is in heaven. You can't can't go there now. But you can go to him right now by faith. And you can you can thank God for the blessings in your life. And you, you can render thanks. Now, how many kids do we have in the church here? A lot, thankfully. Didn't I give Covenant Presbyterian 50 kids? How many are back here giving me thanks? Didn't I bless them all? How many members are at Covenant Presbyterian Church? 117, I think. And how many have come back and given thanks? Why is it it's all these foreigners, all these people outside the covenant that I'm blessing are now coming to me and giving me thanks? Where, where are those who have been Christians for generations? Where are those who were raised in the covenant? Where are those... Who have been sitting under the gospel ministry. Where are those who have the Bibles in their hands? Where are those who have every Christian teacher that the English language could raise up? Didn't I bless them too? Where where are they? Where are you? Are you going to be found at the feet of Jesus with this leper? Giving thanks? Or are you just going to be a consumer of God's mercies? Just like a, a consumer of everything else in our Western capitalistic society. Let's think about that. Let's pray. Amen.